It was the end of the worship service. I had, I had preached for something like 30, 35 minutes or so to a congregation that was largely made up of residents of a neighboring community known as Leisure World, and uh, we were going to do communion a little bit differently that particular Sunday. Uh, rather than passing the elements around uh, the pews, uh, we set up a little table. And the idea was to have everyone get up out of their seats and prayerfully come down and then take of the bread and the juice as they were ready. And so I finished praying. I went and sat down in the, in the front row, right about where Jeff Ewerts is sitting right there. And people began filing past me. And that's when I heard one of them say to the other, Boy, these young pastors sure can't preach. <laughs> and she was probably right. You know, it, it's, it's so easy for so many of us who have lived a little while to look, look down on the younger generations to say, and to say, you know, they, boy, they aren't what, they don't make them like they used to, Right? Are these people, they sure don't understand work ethic. They don't know how to work. They don't know how to do it the way we did it. But you know, the reality is, I think the reality is that, that people who are getting along in years, like my, myself, uh, we've been saying these kind of things since the beginning of time. As long as there was somebody who came along after us and was younger than us, then we were quick to point the finger at them and say, these guys really don't know how it's done. But the reality is there's a learning curve to everything, right? There's a learning curve to life. Uh, I, I remember, you know, growing up, you know, my mom would slave away in the kitchen. She'd be making the meals, she'd be doing dishes, she'd be cleaning up from all the spills of my brothers and I. Well, well we were just in the other room, we're just, just playing, doing what we do. And I'm happy to report that I've grown up and mom doesn't do those things for me anymore. Now I have other people to do those things for me. <laughs> There's a learning curve, right? And we all go through it. But you know, just like there's a learning curve to so many basic things in life, there is a learning curve when it comes to the Christian life, and especially when it comes to going about the work that God has called you to do as a Christian. We're called to make disciples, are we not? We're called to make disciples. Disciples are students, Disciples are learners. Traditionally, disciples are, are followers. They would find someone that they would want to learn from, and then they would follow this teacher around, and they would, they would learn from that person as, as, as he or she spoke. And then they, they would try to copy the things that that person did. And so they're kind of like, like an apprenticeship sort of relationship here. Well, this morning, we're going to follow. We're going to follow a man by the name of Peter, and we're going to look at some key things that Peter did that will help us be ready for the work that God calls us to do. We're not so much going to learn from what Peter said as much as we are from what Peter did. Peter's example, it gives us five important principles for being ready for God's work. 
And we find them in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. And it says that we're going to walk through the passage this morning. It says this. Now as Peter went here and there, among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now Peter was on the move. He's on the move. He's not sitting around in his cush office in Jerusalem. Not sure that he had a cush office in Jerusalem. But he was out there. He went here and there among them all, it says. After traveling to up to Samaria, up to Samaria, down, it's, it's north, but it's down from Jerusalem, to check out what Philip was doing there in Samaria, he returns to Jerusalem with John. But he doesn't stay in Jerusalem. From there, he sets out again. And the first principle that I want to pull out this morning is that we need to be prepared to move. Disciples of Christ need to be prepared to move. We're coming out of this period of, of, of hiding out, of sheltering in place, of trying our best not to contract and not to spread that, that dreaded disease that was going around. And for some, it's challenging to break that pattern. Even for some of us who said, you know, we're not going to do this lockdown stuff and we're not going to take all these precautions and we're just going to go out there. Even for those of us who were more bold and outgoing throughout the pandemic, there's still times when we hesitate to engage people the way that we used to. Friends, Christianity has never been a shelter-in-place faith. It's just not. We're, we're, we're a get-out-there kind of people. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And, of course, there are times when we're down, right? There are times when we're down. There are times when we're sick or maybe we're anchored to one place because we've, we've got something very, very important that we're doing. Maybe we're uh, raising young children. Or maybe it is we recovering from an illness. Or maybe we're, maybe there's a threat that's out there where you just have to lay low for a period of time. But we can never be content to stay there. We're a go people. You know, hanging out in, in mom and dad's basement, binge watching videos or watching video games or doing whatever it is that we like to do is not what Christ's people do. No, they go about his business. We're his workmanship, are we not? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a, there's a movement that is assumed there. It's a working out of this faith. It's a getting out there and putting it into practice. That's what Peter was doing. And as he got out there, God presents him with opportunity after opportunity to minister to people, doesn't he? There he was in this town called Lydda, about 10 miles southeast from the coastal city of Joppa. Lydda was right on that, right at the intersection of an important trade route between Joppa and Egypt and Jerusalem. And so people were constantly passing through this place. There he found a man by the name of Aeneas who had been paralyzed for eight years. He couldn't walk. The best we can tell is Ananias was not a believer. And here Peter is, 
ready to point him and everybody else to Jesus. Have, have you had opportunities to tell people about Jesus? And if you haven't, are you, are you stepping out? Are you making yourself available? Are you being intentional? Are you going to where the places that you go thinking, I am a bearer of the most precious message, the message that these people need to hear, the person at the coffee shop, at the donut shop, at the gas station. We need to be people who are ready to move. Look at verse 34. It says, And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up. Rise and make your bed, he says. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Notice how Peter makes it very, very clear right from the very start that it's not Peter who is going to heal this man, is it? It's not Peter. It's Jesus. And Peter's tour from town to town to town, it wasn't about promoting his new book, was it? It wasn't about boosting his followers on social media. It wasn't even about recruiting people to come back with him to join his church in Jerusalem. No, this was all about introducing people to Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about making the name of Jesus known, not the name of Peter known. It's, it's about calling people into Christ's kingdom not building up Peter's kingdom. It's not about getting more subscriptions to his YouTube channel. No, it's about Jesus. Christians, they need to be ready to do God's work. And to do that, they need to be all about Jesus. He needs to become more. I need to become less. How many people have you seen that are out there selling themselves these days? You know, it used to be the bigwigs who did that? That's, that? That was their thing. But now with the tools that we have in our hands these days, the phones that are in our pockets, the things that we are, how we were able to film ourselves and put ourselves out there, it's so easy for people to be self-promoting these days. Whenever I see people, often pastors, and they're encouraging people, go, go, go to this website, and the website is the pastor's name dot com. Or, or, or they're saying, purchase this book. I wrote this book. Or be part of this ministry, my ministry, called by my name. I get leery. I think we all should be leery. It doesn't mean that that's necessarily bad. It doesn't mean that they're not doing the Lord's work. But it could be that there's a red flag there. Maybe several. You know, when people begin branding themselves, there's a very, very good chance that what they're after is not Jesus. But it's about money, it's about power, it's about recognition, it's about self-gratification, it's about self, some type of self-interest. But when people set their egos to the side, set their images to the side, set their, uh, their, 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 the promotion of their online analytics to the side, and just preach Jesus, well, they're now giving evidence to the fact that their treasure is in the right place. 
Is your treasure in the right place? What we value shouldn't be the praise of each other, shouldn't be the praise of anyone out there, shouldn't be thumbs up, hearts, whatever, but the favor of our Father in heaven. Genuine followers of Christ are all about Christ. And that's because they know that Christ is what people need. They know that Christ is what makes them who they are. Without Christ, they're nothing. They don't, people out there don't need the Bethany brand. And they sure don't need the Jared Burke stamp of approval. No. They need Jesus. They need the way, the truth, and the life. Because only through Jesus are they going to find what they desperately need. Only through him can their sins be forgiven. Only through him can they be made right with their creator. Understand and embrace their true identity. Find new life. Find purpose. And have a guaranteed eternal future in heaven. Peter knew that. In 1 Peter 4, 11, he would later write, Whoever speaks, let him speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever." And ever. God's glory is what our hearts should be beating for. It's what our hearts should desire more than anything else, pointing others to the hope that we have, to the peace, to the joy that they can find in Jesus is what people who are doing God's work want to be all about. As Peter healed this man, he made very, very clear, it's Jesus Christ. He's the one that's going to heal you. And that's, that's exactly what happened. And people embraced Jesus. This man, people even in the town next door, it says, turn to the Lord. That's exactly what happened in that guy Saul's life. We talked about him last week. He had an abrupt about face in life. The life of rebellion that he was living, no more. I'm now walking in line with the Savior. Being ready for Christ's work, God's work, it means being prepared to move. It means being all about Jesus thirdly. It means being ready to flex. Not, not this kind of flex. That's not what we're talking about here. Look at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So there's this lady in this seaside town of Joppa. And this lady was, maybe unlike a lot of others, she was the real deal. 
She didn't have her name in lights, and she wasn't going around uh, speaking at conferences or peddling her books. Luke tells us, though, that she was full of good works. Here's a lady who gave of herself to service. She's actually just like that Proverbs 31 wife. She's a person who opened her hands to the poor and to the needy. And so when she passes away, all kinds of people turn out to mourn her, to remember her. In particular, there are widows who come. And, and they're eager to show, look what this lady did for us. Look at, look at these clothes. Look at, the, look at the, the intricacy and the care and the love with which she made these clothes for us. This lady had been used by God to make a difference in the life of others. You know, a lot of people would probably just brush her off and just think, oh, yeah, you know, there's, there's a life. You, know, you came, you were here, now you're gone. Not very significant. This lady is significant. And perhaps that's why rather than burying her, which was the way things were done, you, you, you don't let the body hang around in that culture, but they take her and they place her in an upper room. It would make sense that they had probably heard that, that Peter was in a town nearby. Actually, our text actually says that. A few miles away. And they're hoping that, Peter, can we persuade you to come? Make the 10-mile walk. And could you do a miracle here? This is a special lady. And if I were Peter and I'd heard this news, I would have... Uh, I probably would have said something like that. I'm so sorry to hear that. That, that is really sad. Uh, I'll be praying for you guys. And then I'd get on with whatever schedule I had. You know, they say, uh, first rule of, of student ministry. I was a youth pastor for 23 years. First, first rule is flexibility. You got to be ready because nothing ever goes as planned. But I, uh, I'm unhappy to report after 23 years, I'm not that flexible. I still really struggle in that area. But not Peter. It says he rose and went with them. His schedule wasn't so important that he didn't leave room for people, especially God's people who were hurting. And we'll see in a minute, God blesses that flexibility. If we're going to be ready for God's work, we need to be willing to flex as well. Fourthly, we need to be quick to pray. So Peter rose and went with them and arrived, and they took him to the upper room, and there was the widows who presented the garments. He says, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the, the body of the lady, he says, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. <laughs> Again, Peter is clearly not in this for himself, is he? This man is all about God's work. He is all about God's glory. He could have said, all right, she's upstairs. Okay, everyone come up with me. Let's go. I want to show you something incredible. This is going to be amazing. You could have healed her right there. Celebration would have broken out. People may have been running into the streets and you got to check this out. You got to check this guy, Peter. You got any dead bodies in your family, in your house? Bring him out. 
Peter's got you covered. He's going to take care of you right now. No. Peter sends everyone out of the room. Wasn't about putting on a show, was it? Boy, we see so many people who claim to be faith healers, and they make it this big production, this massive show. Not Peter. Everyone out. This is all about seeking the Lord. This is all about looking to God to do a work here. Boy, that's good, isn't it? God's people aren't like uh, some type of superheroes sent out by Charles Xavier to go fight the bad guys with their superpowers. No. They are servants of the high king who go out, who move humbly, representing him, but relying fully on him, on his power to do any work that is going to get done. It is not their power. It's his power. So they rely on him. And what does that look like? Some secret mystical incantation? No, no, no. They pray. They pray. They call upon the Lord as they were called to do. They recognize that he alone is the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all that they could ask or think according to his power. So they pray. John MacArthur recalls a story of five college students who traveled to London to hear a preacher preach. The preacher they came to hear was Charles Hayden Spurgeon. And he writes this. Arriving early at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, they found the doors still locked. While they waited on the steps, a man approached them. Would you like to see the heating apparatus of this church, he asked. And they scratched their heads and went, that's not why we came. But they went with them all the same because they didn't have anything else to do. He leads them into the building, down a long flight of stairs, it says, and into a hallway. At the end of the hallway, he opens a door to a large room that is filled with 700 people on their knees, praying. And he simply says, that, and the man ended up being Charles Spurgeon himself, that is the heating apparatus of this church. God's people don't work independent of him. On the contrary, in their work, they must be completely dependent on him. That means they need to be continually coming to him in prayer. How is it? How is it that we Christians so often take prayer and let that be the first thing that we push to the side so that we can go get work done or figure out this problem or that problem? Our go-to, isn't it, so often is our own creativity. It's our own strength. It's our own intelligence. It's our own uh, skill, resources. But before anything else, it needs to be simply dropping to the floor and praying. God's people need to be prepared to move. They need to be prepared to be all about Jesus. They need to be flexible. They need to be quick to pray. Finally, they need to be open to taking the gospel to all. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. 
and he, that is Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. God is clearly working here, right? The good news is spreading. Many, many people are believing in the Lord. This is incredible. This is great. People are hearing. They're believing. That's good. Then we have this one last sentence here. And it seems like this little little uh, notation. It's a, a little tag on it. It's insignificant. It's significant. It's actually very significant. The man that Peter goes to stay with during this time, many days it says, shares the same name as Peter. Simon was Peter's first name. That's not the important part, though. The important part isn't his name. The important part is his job. Simon was a tanner. Now, if Peter was Jewish, and we know that he was, he would have known that a good Jew does not associate with someone in that profession. And that's because tanners were people who were constantly working with the skins of dead animals. And if you know anything about uh, Judaism, you know that's going to automatically and perpetually make that person and anyone who has contact with that person ceremonially unclean. Put it simply, respectable Jews don't want to have anything to do with people in this profession, let alone stay at their house, let alone for multiple nights. And yet, that's where Peter stays. Are there people that, if you associated with them, that you would be looked down upon by others? Are there people that you can think of right now who you just would avoid associating with? This is a tough one. And if we're thinking that, that what this has mainly to do with is race, I think we're wrong. Because we put barriers up for all different reasons, don't we? So many different sizes and shapes and all of that. But if we're going to be ready to do God's work, sharing the good news of Jesus, taking it to the ends of the earth, then like Peter, we've got to put these things aside. This is not about going to everyone and saying, you know what, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. We're all just going to love each other. It's just going to be wonderful, and we're all going to sing together. No, 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 no. This is about stepping out the door, crossing bridges, and coming to people who need Jesus, alerting them to their, the reality of their sin and where that's leading them, and taking them to the cross that they might put to death their old life, embrace the Savior, and be risen to new life and new hope with him. That's what this is about. But we need to be ready. God's people need to be ready to go to everybody with that message. We're going to hear Peter say later in Acts 10 that God shows no partiality, neither can his people, we can't do it. If we're to be about our father's business, then we need to check preferences. We need to check prejudices 
at the door and pray that God fills our hearts with love and compassion for every single person that he has made in his image, regardless of how lost we believe they are or strange we think they are. The reality is, no matter how long we live as Christians, there's always going to be someone that we can look at and say, you know, I, 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 boy, I, they're, they're not where I'm at. The longer we live, the more we think that we've got this thing together. But the reality is there's so much more room for us to grow. Let's take a lesson from Peter's example. If we're going to be ready to do God's work, Let's be prepared to move. Let's not be content to just sit back and do nothing. Let's be all about Jesus. Let's put aside our, any self-promotion that we might be uh, driven to inside or feel compelled to do because of pressures from the outside. Let's be ready to be flexible, quick to pray, open to taking the gospel of Jesus to all. And as those who are preparing to serve communion, come on forward. Let, let's pray. Lord, uh, prepare us to take the good news of Jesus into our world. Lord, you know more than we do that they need you just as we need you. And as we prepare our hearts now to remind ourselves of the sacrifice that was given for us, Christ's blood that was shed for us, his body that was given, Lord, make us vividly aware of the grace that we have received. And Lord, deeply move us to take that grace outside these walls to those who need it.